This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The world of philanthropy and social impact is undergoing rapid change. Notable developments include the rise in entrepreneur donors, deeper networks driven by technology, and a new cooperative attitude that is blurring the lines separating nonprofits, for profits, and governments. Andres Spicoini, president and CEO of the Jewish Funders Network, explains where this fast paced evolution is heading. We're pleased to be meeting today with Andres Spicoini, who's the president and CEO of the Jewish Funders Network. The network's an umbrella organization for large philanthropic, charitable, and social impact groups who are devoted to causes that support Israel and Jews globally. Thanks for joining us today, Andres. Uh, Would you explain further what the Jewish Funder Network does and also just how big its reach is financially? Yes. So the the Jewish Funders Network is is a peer network of funders, uh, not only uh, large funders, actually, funders that give give, uh, from $25,000 a year, each to mega funders that give hundreds of millions every year. Um, it's, a, it's a philanthropic network that has a lot of uh, varied uh, interests from the ones you mentioned, uh, the Jewish community, Israel, etc. But not only. Uh, most of our members actually fund uh, non-Jewish causes. I would even venture to say that the majority of what they fund is, <clears throat> sorry, um, non-Jewish causes, and and what unites them though is that a they believe that their philanthropy is somehow informed by their Jewish identity or their Jewish values, uh, that they believe in strategic philanthropy, and that they believe that it takes. A network that it takes working in partnership and in and in collaboration to to really affect change in the world. Um, the the we have around a thousand members, um, and it's it's really hard to know their total philanthropic capacity, but it's in several billion dollars of of uh, philanthropic assets. Okay, well. Um that already sounds uh, fairly innovative, uh, but I'm wondering um, how does the kind of philanthropic and social impact uh, that your group does uh, uh, around these issues, how does it differ from the way things worked, say, five or ten years ago? What, what key differences would you that, identify? That, that's, a, that's a very important question because – so the Jewish Funders Network itself, and this is a, a clarification that is – that is actually important, does not fund anything. Is our members, the funders themselves, who choose to fund whatever they choose to fund. Um, I think that the biggest um, change um, goes hand in hand with changes in the society in general. Uh, we live today in a society of uh, individual kings, really. This is a society of uh, hyper-empowered um, uh, people, you know, people that are hyper-empowered and hyper-connected and that they can affect change through their own 
entrepreneurial spirit, dynamism, and creativity. We see this in business, we see this in politics, and we see this in philanthropy as well. So the last few years saw an explosion, really, um, of, um, of uh, independent philanthropy. The number of foundations in the United States grew enormously. I think it's threefold or fourfold. The number of donor advice funds uh, multiplied by 10. It's, there is a whole trend uh, that favors individual philanthropy and sort of entrepreneurial philanthropy. Uh, if in the past you had a few big uh, foundations, say the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Ford, uh, now now philanthropy is becoming a much more wide, you know, a much wider uh, system. Uh, the the problem with that, I mean, it, this itself we feel is a is a great thing. I mean, I think that the democratization of uh, philanthropy. Uh, is, is, is really a great thing for the society as a whole. The, the, the issues that come with that is one is the weakening of traditional communal philanthropy. And we see that in the Jewish community and in the secular community. Uh, the, 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 the growth of independent philanthropy sometimes happens in detriment of, say, the United Ways or the Jewish federations or those venues for collective philanthropy. And that's something that the system has to work out because we also need collective philanthropy. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that with the growth of independent philanthropy, the connections between funders are not always uh, strong enough. So we work a lot in networking and helping funders work together and uh, collaborate. We're trying to move the field from do-it-yourself philanthropy to let's do it together philanthropy. So and, is, uh, and, and if I may add to that, sorry, yeah. one last thing is in the last five years, we saw the growth of a lot of innovative uh, philanthropic vehicles, uh, social impact bonds, impact investing, uh, giving circles, um, uh, crowdfunding, all these shows that there's an intersection between, you know, fields, between philanthropy and business, between philanthropy and government, between technology and philanthropy, etc. And that's creating a lot of exciting stuff in the field. So uh, there's uh, a phrase out there, you used it earlier, called strategic philanthropy uh, for social impact. And um, I'm wondering, you mentioned that the... Uh, Collective groups such as a United Way um, uh, are, are giving way to some degree to the individual or entrepreneurial philanthropists, and that uh, there's less coordination between them. And that, in fact, your group helps to helps to coordinate them. Could you could you discuss what strategic philanthropy is uh, in connection with those ideas? Right. Yeah. So uh, this is a great question because. Defining strategic philanthropy in the right way really can change the way in which you do philanthropy. And changing the way in which you do philanthropy results in more social good. So strategic philanthropy is really a philanthropy that is, A, focused. I mean, we see a lot of philanthropists that try to do everything, 
and you know, as the saying goes, when you try to do everything, you do you do nothing. Um, strategic philanthropy entails defining a problem in the society that you want to solve, and then work to try to identify the best ways of solving that issue. It's not about abstract formulations. It's not anymore about abstract formulations. I mean, we need to go to the next level, which is really define what we want to achieve with our philanthropy. What are the values that guide us? What are the practices that we want to use? What is the theory of change that we want to, that we want to, to, to do? And, and, and with the fragmentation, as you call it, of, of, of philanthropy from big central organizations that had a for example, a planning staff that could ask these questions to more independent philanthropists, um, those questions have to be asked by each and every one of us. Um, what, is the, what are the issues that I want to deal with? What, are the, wh what is the change that I want to create? And that defines my strategy. What is my time frame, for example? It's, it's very different to say uh, 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 that, that I'm in that I have a perpetual foundation or I have a spend down, you know, fund that I'm going to spend in five years. So that, all that informs a strategy. And, and, uh, and, and that strategy has to be conducive to, again, the issues that I want to solve in the, in the community. Uh, uh, you mentioned earlier, I think, technology um and could you discuss how that's affected change and innovation uh, in the philanthropic space? Right. So, so um, technology uh, is it ha has also deeply affected the world of of philanthropy uh, in in several ways. First of all, it's extremely easier for donors to gather information. Um, Something that also we, you know, ended up weakened one of the traditional roles of the of the central organizations of the United Ways and Jewish federations and the like. M much of their role was to actually select and process information on behalf of the donor. Now donors can do that on their own. They can go on the internet and, and find information about about each and every each and every uh, grantee. The, on the other hand, technology provides uh, a great platform for uh, collaboration at levels that we, that we didn't know before. One of the things that we are trying to do is for our members to be able to connect through a, through a technological platform and find ways to uh, collaborate. Um, this is something that didn't exist before. It, was, you know, it had to go through the through a through a central address that would direct traffic. Now, a network can can be much more vibrant and much more vital because through technology everybody can connect with uh, everybody. Uh, tr um, technology made transparency much more imperative than it used to be. Um, it is important to be able to 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 show all that you do. And last but not least, technology uh, offers the possibility of connecting and reaching a large number of people. Uh, if I think about uh, 
new philanthropic venues like like crowdfunding, which is you put a project out there and you ask you know the big public to fund it. This wouldn't have been possible without a platform like the uh, internet. Yes, in the 19th century, you would have a public monument funded by popular subscription, but it wasn't the same reach and it wasn't the same flexibility that we have now with with these technological platforms. The danger is that technology does not replace uh, relationships, and that's very important. And crowdfunding does not replace traditional philanthropy. So we need to be extremely careful you know, part of being a strategic funder, as you said before, is to know which tool, which philanthropic tool is good or is effective for each specific situation. And that's, and that's part of having an intelligent use of uh, technology. Do you need now a crowdfunding part platform? Do you need an, you know, some innovative avenue or, you, or, or the situation you're dealing with requires traditional, old-school grant-making. So uh, let me move on to a different idea, which is um, what role should philanthropy and and the government play in accelerating innovation for global social impact compared with private enterprises' role? Great. So uh, there's – that's a a whole field that is changing enormously – in the past, <clears throat> sorry, you had a <clears throat> very this, um, very clear distinction between the sectors. You had the first sector, the government, the second sector, the private enterprise, the third sector, the nonprofit slash philanthropic sector. Now, these one one piece of data of of the context is that those boundaries are blurred. Now uh, you will have companies that declare to have a, a social benefit, and you would have a philanthropy that use uh, uh, commercial ways of getting revenue, and you would have a government that would work uh, through philanthropy to do certain things. So that's part of the context that makes your, your question very critical now, because we need to find ways of interacting across sectors that are novel that are and are that are adequate to a time in which the definitions are not so sharp what we always say is that philanthropy can and should be a laboratory of uh, innovation for the government and for the private sector take the issue of research for example there are things that government is not going to fund because they can't use public money to spend something that it has high risk of failing. For the same reason, probably private companies won't fund it. Now, this is a niche for, for philanthropy. Philanthropy should go and say, I can take higher risk because I don't have sort of public scrutiny or... or, or, or or a public fiduciary uh, responsibility, nor do I have a specific uh, shareholder responsibility. So I can take risks. So philanthropy can be a laboratory for the society. Um, the, the, 
that, that's one very important aspect. The second important aspect is that the government and philanthropy, as opposed to the private sector, and here there, there needs to be a sharp distinction, philanthropy and the government need to pick up uh, issues that are market failures. There is a tendency now of trying to make everything into, a, into some sort of commercial company. So let's say we're dealing with youth, uh, youth problems, you know, in some underprivileged neighborhood. And we're going to say, well, let's try to, let's try to work on a creating a commercial companies. So let's try to solve this through market um, mechanisms. Well, market mechanisms failed in this particular case. So we need to try other things through philanthropy and through government initiative. And this is one area in which government and, um, and philanthropy can work together. What does your group view as the most effective kinds of philanthropy uh, and social impact efforts? Could you give a, a couple of examples? Yeah. So it, um, one very important distinction is that there is not, there are not silver bullets. Every situation requires a different type of philanthropic approach. Um, in some cases, as I said before, you need a traditional grant-making approach to solve a problem that is very complex. In other issues, you need to involve a lot of, you know, a lot of stakeholders and, 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 and bring them together to work on a, on a, on a, on a specific problem. What I find as a, as, a, as a common set of principles in terms of what is effective is the following. First of all, it is effective when philanthropists and funders engage with an issue for the long term. Um, when, when a funder says that they're going to make a one-year grant to an issue that is not a one-year issue, they're actually making a disservice to the field. We encourage people to get engaged with an issue and stay with it until they can see change. Second, um, smart philanthropists today recognize that it's not just about funding their pet projects, it's about building capacity for the nonprofits to operate. The whole debate about funding overhead, you know, overhead became a dirty world in the, <clears throat> in the philanthropic uh, uh, community, but it's not. Overhead is what allows a nonprofit to operate and do the programs that the funder wants him to do. So what creates a lot of impact is strong nonprofits, and strong nonprofits need healthy overhead. We're not talking here about crazy situations where 90% goes to overhead. We're talking about the capacity that lets them operate. Third, situations where funders work together to solve issues. Um, there's pr probably one very famous case is how funders got together, foundations got together with the government in the city of Pittsburgh and really revolutionized the, the, the school system there. Um, in our group, uh, we have many cases of 
people getting together to solve problems of uh, Jewish communal activities, affordabilities, or issues in uh, Israel, for example, in the uh, integration of a of a of a Arab Israelis or of a, of uh, Ethiopian Israelis, etc. And they came together and they created very innovative programs that really changed the 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 situation on the ground. Um, and last but not least, um, the smart funding that creates most social impact is funding that works in coordination with other sectors, as, as we were talking before. Uh, involving the government um, is is important. Involving the the the, the for-profit sector when you can is important. We have, for example, a project. I mean, some of our members have created a project uh, to a, to a, to a advance the teaching of science, technology, and math in public schools. And they they actually involve a group of funders, the schools themselves, the government, and many companies, many high-tech companies that need to ensure that they have a, a stream of trained people to fill the jobs they, they, are, they are putting out there. So uh, when you manage to work across sectors, your impact grows. All right. Uh, I wanted to move on to ask you about actually raising funds. And research here at Wharton shows that when organizations want to raise money for a charitable cause or a social impact cause, that emotional appeals uh, often work better than rational appeals. I, I, that might not be too surprising, but I'm just wondering how you or your, your members of your group tend to structure their appeals. I'm sure it varies by project, but in, in general, if you can generalize. Right. Uh, and what do you find works best? Right. So in, in um, the, the, the members of our group, group are actually the funders. They are the ones being solicited for funds. So it's very interesting because I can tell you how they prefer to be solicited. And, uh, and in, um, what I would say really is that what works is to transform the ask into a transformative experience for both donor and grantee. In other words, this is not really about soliciting. It's about creating partnerships and establishing meaningful relationships. So then, then the question of emotional versus rational becomes obsolete. It's, not, it's, it's beyond that. It's, it's really about sharing a commitment to a cause and then try to see how we can work together with that. Fun donors don't want to give just money. They want to get involved. One of the big lessons learned in the last few years is that donors yearn for personal involvement, not just, not just writing checks. They, people, people in this highly technological world, they still look for meaning and they still look for purpose. And philanthropy can give them that. You, as, a, as somebody that requests funds, are actually offering something. You're offering meaning, you're offering purpose, you're offering commitment, and you're offering somebody the possibility of transforming other people, 
other people's lives. So that is the platform for a partnership between donor and fund seeker. Could you give an example, a specific concrete example of where that has worked really well that might help us understand what it looks like in practice? So um, one of the things I say is that, you know, donors can give much more than money. Uh, We, for example, encourage um, uh, grant seekers when they talk to funders to see what what are the specific skills that the funder can bring to the table besides money. Is he a lawyer? You know, so he can, can he give you pro bono services? Uh, is he, does he know about, for, for example, we have in our board a gentleman who's, who's, um, who's, a, who's a professor at Stanford, and he, he knows a lot about technology and using technology for social for, for social connections. So we, we ask him to get involved into developing our networking platform. You know, and he's, uh, this is, an, this is an, an, an expertise that would have costed us, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the, in the market. Now, it's a win-win. He, he feels committed to the cause. He had, we all had fun doing it, and we, and we got a great product that we couldn't have afforded. So, and there are many, many, many examples like that. The other thing is engage people in a multi-generational way. In other words, we tend to go, for example, to the head of the family to ask for funds. Sometimes we need to work with the entire family. Many organizations are creating programs to work with several generations at the same time, and those work wonderfully. Uh, and see what each generation can add and can, do to, and can bring to the cause. And the, and the other thing is that transform giving into a social activity. It's not just you're writing a check in your office. You're also connecting with people that feel like you, that think like you. And, you know, it can be also a a great social venue for you. So um, for JFN itself, what kinds of innovation have you instituted over the last couple of years? Yeah, so um, several things. So first of all, we're working a lot in the area of giving circles, which is a, a, a giving platform that we think is, is very important, is peers getting together and pooling money to do philanthropy together, and it's a it's a it's it's a great it's a great tool because it sits on the crossroads of social interaction, networking, and strategic philanthropy. So, and it is a way of encouraging people to be philanthropic and to tell them that they don't need to be one of the big families one of the big fortunes to be philanthropic, that everybody can. You just get together with your friends, your peers, and you can start being philanthropic. That's one thing. The second thing is we're working a lot in issues of impact investing. Impact investing is when foundations invest their, their corpus. In other words, a foundation needs to give away 5% of their, 
of that capital every year, and the other 95% is actually invested in the market. Now, there's a whole trend now in philanthropy, which is to invest this 95% in profit-generating endeavors that are linked to the foundation's mission. So, for example, say you care about uh, the uh, environment. So you're going to invest your corpus in companies that advance your cause. You may sacrifice a little bit of profit, but you're aligning your um, your portfolio with your with your philanthropic goals. That's something that is that we're actually working a lot, and we're helping funders navigate uh, that. Uh, we are also because we recognize that collaboration among funders is critical. We're working a lot in developing a corpus of knowledge and tools about how to collaborate. This is a new field. There, wasn't, there weren't a lot of funders' collaborations in the past. And so creating a taxonomy of funders' collaboration, creating tools to help people collaborate is an important tool for, for, for philanthropists that want to be philanthropic. Uh, sorry, that want to be strategic. Um, the other element that we're actually investing very heavily on is the creation of different peer networks. Within our network, we're trying to create groups that share a specific um, interest. So, for example, funders of disabilities, funders of uh, Jewish education, funders of the uh, environment, etc. The idea being that in a highly fragmented philanthropic landscape, folks can get together and compare notes, uh, avoid duplication, and eventually decide on funding things together. All right. So if if someone has a significant amount of money they're able to put into play in the area of social impact and innovation, someone like uh, Sir Ronald Cohen, for example, yes. what would you recommend? So he, what, what, what Sir Ronald Cohen did is very interesting. He, he created a vehicle which allows um, for people to to get to get funded, while the, his social impact bond he created just, uh, something that's called a social impact bond. What that it, it, you basically invest in something where you take the risk out of the out of the equation, so then banks and government can fund people that wouldn't be eligible to be funded for um, in, in, the, in the commercial circuit. Now, these people get to do business or to start their own thing, and they get out of the cycle of poverty and need, which is a great, which is a great strategy. Now, I always shy to suggest a specific area for people to actually invest. Because that implies that philanthropy is a zero-sum game, which I don't believe is. I think there's a lot of philanthropic capacity out there. Americans still give very little, around 2% of, the, of, of, uh, of uh, disposable income. Uh, so there is, uh, if, we, if we work right, uh, philanthropy does not need to be a zero-sum game. 
So my, my advice would not fund X or Y, would be rather define one specific issue that is ambitious, yes, achievable, one problem that you want to solve. For Sir Ronald Cohen, he, he, he actually doesn't need my, 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 my suggestion. He, he did it already. He went to, to solve specific issues for which the social uh, capital bonds are actually good tools. I would suggest every funder to do the same. An issue that is aligned with who you are, with your values, with your family values, with your religious beliefs, with whatever it is, but something that you feel that you can create, that you can bring change, that you can move the needle on something. Um, that, that would be my advice, short of suggesting a specific investment. There are big issues in, in, the, in the society today. Uh, some are old issues like you know, public schools. Some are new issues like the phenomenon of the working poor. It, it, it's, up for, it, it's up to each um, to decide what, is, what, what do their values tell them. So uh, what haven't I asked you that would be interesting or important to know about your organization? Uh, let me think about it. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that we haven't already covered. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that one, one interesting thing um, that Jeff and is, actually, uh, is, is, is actually dealing with is the issue of philanthropy in different parts of the world. We are a global network, and therefore, we can see we have members from Europe, from Australia, from Israel, and we and we see that different different people, different countries, relate to philanthropy in very very different ways. As an example, uh, in uh, Israel, for example, which was established as kind of a socialist country, really. I mean, very high taxes and and, and you know a lot of lot of collective. Um, you know, a, a strong collective ethos. The concept of, of philanthropy was was uh, alien to them. I mean, the government takes care of everything. You don't have to be philanthropic. I mean, so to to have that cultural clash between that mentality and uh, an American mentality is is very interesting. It's is very very rich. Um, the issue of how in Israel, for example that is, in the last 20 years, became a high-tech hub and, and, and the, 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 as they call it, the startup nation, is interesting because it actually influences uh, philanthropy. People there see philanthropy in the same model of the startup culture and the high-tech culture, and that's, and that's extremely interesting. Um, you have the same issue in uh, Europe, you know, uh, uh, European see... Uh, philanthropy in a very different way. Australians see philanthropy in a very different way. Um, and those interactions are mutually enriching. I mean, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really heartwarming to see how in Israel, which used to be a recipient of philanthropic dollars, uh, now there's a culture of, of philanthropy being created based on uh, an American model, frankly, of foundations and donations, etc., and how here we are being influenced by some of these uh, innovative ways 
of seeing philanthropy that come from from other parts of the world. So that's I, I think we need more than that, and I think that's uh, that's that's a very rich source of you know ideas, innovation, etc. Well, thank you very much for chatting with us today. It's very very informative, and we appreciate it. And uh, may may catch up with you again sometime soon. <laughs> Pleasure. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.